You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. It is my privilege to be seated at the 2009 PRSA International Conference with the co-conference chair. Uh, His name is Lieutenant Commander Brooke DeWalt. Uh, He is an accredited public relations practitioner and he is with the United States Navy. He is the Director of Public Affairs uh, for the Joint Task Force at Guantanamo. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much, Eric. Glad to be here. It's, It's an honor myself. Tell us, uh, if you would, uh, before we get into a discussion about um, what it's like doing public relations for the United States Navy, um, tell me about your experience as co-chair of the conference this year. Uh, It's been phenomenal, Uh, in in one word, phenomenal. Uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be offered the opportunity to serve as as honorary co-chair and to assist uh, particularly uh, on military aspects and uh, this year the the, the uh, national headquarters and uh, the chapters involved and all had uh, really wanted to work on r- additional uh, reach out to the military community especially in a, in a, uh, a location such as San Diego with such a heavy military emphasis uh, uh, to uh, to the community the economy etc uh, this would be an ideal opportunity to uh, to do that uh, that reach out and uh, touching the military community uh, they asked me to uh, to assist in that regard as well as my other activities uh, with APR and other, and uh, other elements of the, of the conference to try to help uh, build and had a fantastic uh, relationship with the other uh, co-chairs, Marisa Valbona and, uh, and Dennis Walcott, and the three of us uh, served as the uh, served as the co-chairs for the conference uh, to put this together. Uh, worked very well with uh, the San Diego Host Committee and with National Headquarters. Had some had a great uh, great conference committee that was put together, and it really is uh, a testament to the teamwork across the board uh, from all, from everybody involved uh, to to where we are now, which uh, from. Uh, from all accounts that I've seen thus far, uh, I must say so myself. I'm I'm pretty pleased with how uh, how everybody's come together and put this thing put this thing together. The transition team uh, that brought uh, President uh, Obama into office presented him with a citizens' briefing book, and the briefing book was essentially a survey conducted online, asking people what issues were most important to them. And one of the issues uh, that m- many people said was something that was important to them is that they would like to shut down the detainee center at Guantanamo Bay. Why is there so much resistance? Why are people so angry about the detainee center? Well, uh, you're going to have to ask them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what I can tell you... Well, if you would, then, frame the controversy for us. What is at the heart of the controversy? Uh, Mythology of uh, of uh, activities down in uh, in Guantanamo Bay related to the, to the Joint Task Force. Uh, I say mythology because uh, it is almost all entirely based on myth, not fact. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, so I, c- I can tell you, the president did uh, he did uh, he uh, sign the presidential executive order 
uh, announcing that uh, Guantanamo Bay uh, was to uh, was to be closed by January 22, 2010. Uh, that uh, I'm a military officer, and uh, myself and uh, and the com- the commanders I work for at Joint Task Force Guantanamo, the admiral and everybody else involved, uh, we're the military. We follow the orders of the officers appointed over us, and we are working toward that that goal, doing what we need to do. Uh, from a boots-on-the-ground perspective at Guantanamo Bay at the Joint Task Force to have everything prepared for, uh, for the uh, eventual, uh, eventuality of, of the facility closing. So with that happening, uh, you've, got a lot of, you've got a lot of opportunity to, uh, uh, to communicate uh, across the board. Uh, you've seen a, the president out there uh, quite a bit. You've seen Congress out there. Uh, it's a very political issue. Uh, and uh, the politics of, of why the detainees are there, should they be there, uh, how they're to be tried, where they're to be tried, uh, all, of, all of those fantastic questions. Uh, but I must, uh, I must say that is not for, for us at Joint Task Force Guantanamo to answer. We, um, our mission is to provide for the safe, humane, legal, and transparent care and custody of the detainees that are there. And uh, that is what we focus on. And so... Uh, uh, it is a it is a challenge uh, with a lot of people saying a lot of things about the place, and I, I I think a lot of it rolls back to and again this is just myself personally talking I think a lot of it rolls back to uh, there's a reputation about Guantanamo, uh, and that it the reputation is what it is it's unfortunate because it 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 doesn't stand on truth it is more myth, uh, but. Uh, I, I believe the president has uh, has identified that, it, and he and his his team has, had understood that there is an issue about the reputation of the place, and that was a decision that he made to uh, to uh, put the executive order out to close the place. And again, we're military personnel who will follow those orders and uh, carry them out to the best of our ability. It's twelve months, right? He's when he signed the order, he said within twelve months. That is correct. That is and, correct. And so when did he sign the order? When would, when would 12 months be? January 22nd, 2010. I see. And so uh, you're preparing for that to happen or you're Absolutely. sort of going about your job and you don't really have visibility about or, or is everyone there sort of thinking, well, you know, hey, uh, we got to make sure that we wrap this up because, I mean, hey, it's, uh, it's next month. I well, mean, it's what? It's 10 weeks from when we're recording this podcast. Well, do keep in mind. Again, we follow the orders of the president, and uh, the order was to have the facility uh, ready to be shut down. Uh, the order is that it, it, that operations will cease, uh, and so if. But keep in mind, there are a lot of a lot of things at play uh, outside of our day-to-day operations at Guantanamo. It's uh, again, this, it's a it's a very robust uh, atmosphere with uh, the Department of Defense, Department of Justice, Department of State, uh, White House, Congress, uh, other agencies. Uh, all working on this, and so those the policy decisions, the big decisions uh, of what's to happen with the detainees specifically, that's all made in Washington and elsewhere, uh, and we focus on that day-to-day proper care and custody of the detainees, and we'll we'll continue to do so. Uh, that's not to say we're not doing anything. We have plans. That, you know, our commander, uh, our admiral, who's uh, in charge of the task force, is. Uh, has directed the individuals and have plans in place for what we would do to cease operations. But, uh, and we're working on those plans, but we we still, we remain focused on the day-to-day operations. And until the last detainee leaves, we don't change our focus. And your job also is handling media that 
asks for credentials and visitation rights? That is correct. I'm the director of public affairs, and so uh, the media visits, uh, which the media come down regularly, er, nearly every week. We uh, we have media on uh, on island visiting the joint task force and seeing the conditions of detention and the operations. How many requests for visitation would you say you receive on a week or a month? Oh, that. Uh, that's hard to say. It ebbs and flows, but but I can tell you that uh, I I believe you know we we have had thousands of media visit over the course of the eight, these these eight years. Uh, we have uh, you know some weeks we may have one or two media on island. Other weeks we may have seven, eight, nine, ten on island. Uh, it it does vary often. So you you have the capacity to accommodate all requests. Uh, we we have been very uh, fortunate in being able to accommodate. Uh, There's space. Uh, Oh, oh, absolutely. We, uh, we, we certainly accommodate to the best of our ability. So I'm you not never gonna, have to say no because of space? Well, no, I'm, I, I'm, never, I'm, I'm not going to say we never say no because of space. The, the, we have not had any major issues to, to date, uh, but, uh, and we certainly uh, adjust accordingly and, uh, and do whatever we can to accommodate the media. Uh, so, and we've had you know, national, U.S. national media. We've had international media. Uh, just, uh, it's just a routine process for us to to have media on, on island. Transparency is a very uh, large aspect of the operations down there. And have I you think ever accommodated Al Jazeera? Absolutely. Al Jazeera has been has been to Guantanamo, the Joint Task Force, uh, on several occasions. Uh, they've been down there for. Uh, uh, a variety, a variety of times. So uh, that's you know, just one of, of many. So when you, do you monitor their coverage afterwards? Well, uh, we, we we look for coverage on a on a constant basis. I am I'm often. Like, do uh, you guys monitor Al Jazeera in Arabic and get a translation and everything? Well, I uh, I will go. Al Jazeera English is much easier for me to go pull up on the web and see see what's going on. As an example, you know we you know we flip channels just like anybody else for for, for monitoring media. We're flipping channels to uh, uh, domestic uh, domestic uh, channels, cable networks. Uh, uh, Overseas channels. Uh, typically, what'll happen most of the time, the media will send us a copy or a link or something to their website, saying, "Hey, here's here's what we did. It's gonna it's gonna post." And uh, oftentimes, that uh, that's how we find out. So. What outlets have treated you most unfairly? Um, I don't know if there's uh, if it if it's uh, something that I could identify specifically. And you're talking you're, that's that's very subjective, fairly versus unfairly. In whose eyes? You know, that's not that's not my role. The role for the for the the joint task force and for the public affairs team that I run is to do whatever we can to maintain that transparency, to provide access to the best of our ability. Uh, we have to fit within operations at the at the facility, uh, so uh, there's a lot a lot of adjustment all the time. And uh, it's not a matter. It, we don't sit there and monitor. Are they going to be? Are they going to be positive? Are they going to be neutral? Are they going to be negative? It's different. It means different things to different people, and that's not that's not what's important. Uh, what's important to me is the access and providing that, and to show them, to the best of our ability, the facilities and the conditions of detention, the quality of, of the the service personnel that serve down there, and they report what they report. And can, I can they interview the prisoners? Uh, the detainees I'm are sorry, not. Uh, the, the detainees. Uh, just, just a point of clarification that, uh, with the exception of one individual down there, none of them are convicted of anything. Okay. Uh, they are, they're, they're, they're at Guantanamo Bay because they've been, uh, been, 
placed there to be removed from an active battlefield until such time uh, that the decisions are made to, to send them elsewhere. So, uh, so these de- detainees, uh, no, we do not have uh, have them uh, interviewed. It sounds scary when you say it like that. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, they're in the ether. Well, we don't have them interview detainees specifically because th- that would be uh, uh, against uh, U.S. policy and how we're operating uh, the facilities and uh, would go against the grain of... Uh, uh, of the uh, Geneva Conventions, Common Article Three, uh, and subjecting them to uh, to public scrutiny, and so. But I that, thought that, is, that uh, the Geneva Con- Conventions wouldn't apply to them because it's at Guantanamo. Well, the issue with uh, you have to understand, we have standards that we operate from, and much of what we are operating, it's it's a U.S. A U.S. Dis- policy decision for for how they're how they're to be uh, dealt with down there, and the Geneva Conventions piece. We're we're certainly looking at what. Uh, at what uh, other elements are out there. And that is one that we, that we do look at, absolutely. Let's talk about um, your, your prior uh, job, because I know before this, you were at the Pentagon. Yes, absolutely. And, and you were working with uh, um, former um, uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs, Robert T. Hastings, who I had the pleasure of interviewing earlier today. And he said, these are his words, Uh-oh. that you were the brainchild the talent at DOD responsible for getting the Department of Defense into social media? Well, he's, he's very gracious, uh, but uh, uh, maybe may a little too gracious. Uh, I do appreciate that. But uh, yes, I was definitely uh, involved. My, assi- my assignment prior to Joint Task Force Guantanamo was to serve as the director of new media for the Office of the Secretary of Defense. And uh, that was at a time when... Uh, uh, you're in an environment that uh, it's always changing, and there was a decision uh, within the Pentagon to to look into how we can better communicate uh, using these new media tools. And I when you say communicate, you mean information intended for public distribution. Absolutely, absolutely. And so when we're when we're commu- uh, what a decision was made uh, to to start looking at. Uh, new media, social media, emerging media, or whatever terminology you choose to use. Uh, it always seems to be morphing. And so uh, I showed up at, uh, at the time that they were looking at that, and I was fortunate enough to, uh, to be put in a position to, uh, with a, a handful of other individuals, quality, quality individuals, uh, to, to look at what can we do uh, in public affairs to, uh, to further our communication efforts using new media, social media uh, tools and techniques. And so... Uh, can, I, I, can you tell me who some of the people you were working with were? I mean, is that okay or no? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it was... Uh, we had uh, Roxy Merritt. Uh, she's, uh, uh, she is a retired Navy captain. Uh, just a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal person. High energy. Uh, always go, go, go. And uh, um, she... Uh, she uh, Roxy is who I, uh, who I was uh, directly working for. Uh, and then another another fine individual who's here at the conference, as a matter of fact, Jack Holt, um, another uh, government civilian. And uh, Jack is here, and uh, uh, he's actually presenting uh, at the conference uh, specific to uh, to social media and uh, and some of our Department of Defense efforts. And uh, and and so we we put uh, together a team. Uh, Grew, reached out, find, found some other uh, some other uh, individuals uh, to participate with, and looked into elements. We created the uh, what's called the Department of Defense Bloggers Roundtable, 
Uh, we started interacting with bloggers across the globe on a regular basis uh, uh, and uh, did, did a host of other, acti uh, other activities, uh, uh, working with uh, the Department of Defense uh, Pentagon Channel, the Pentagon Channel, uh, and uh, uh, working with them for looking for ways to further our, our efforts with podcasting uh, and things along those lines. And so I would, uh, uh, I'd, I'd be, it's just important to note there were a lot of a lot of talented people that really did a lot. I think uh, in uh, in the uh, investment of uh, time and energy in developing some good social media activity for the Department of Defense. And there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff going now. the The Defense Link website was was uh, was redesigned. There's now defense.gov. Uh, with, and if you go to that site, you'll see a tremendous amount of social networking uh, tools and opportunities on there. So I would recommend that as well. But uh, just some just some great people that I that I've been lucky enough to work with, and uh, that's one of the joys of uh, being uh, being a military public affairs practitioner. Uh, I get to uh, travel around and uh, I rotate assignments, and I get to meet a lot of people. And uh, I'm lucky enough to work with some fantastic talent uh, so far wherever I've been, and that includes uh, my time at Guantanamo and uh, my pe my previous time at uh, Department of Defense. Now, um, there's been some press coverage that the Department of Defense is currently evaluating um, establishing some sort of a formal social media policy. I saw a story in um, uh, Federal Computer Week and uh, the story said that uh, by the end of October uh, Department of Defense was expecting to have uh, an umbrella social media policy that could be used and distributed amongst the various branches of the armed forces. Do you have any uh, insight into this? Uh, I'm aware of it. Uh, because I transferred away from this, that assignment some eight months ago, I'm not as close to it as I, uh, as I was previously. But I do know that uh, uh, the Department of Defense, the public affairs elements are, uh, are working toward what can be done uh, with access, while you have other other elements in uh, um, in uh, information technology, uh, ensuring security uh, security and safety within the system as well, and so it's looking for the proper balance. I know that uh, there uh, there are a lot of a lot of smart people working on it. Uh, several several offices, both uh, at with uh, uh, within OSD Office of Secretary of Defense, as well as offices within the Joint Staff. Uh, and, and others, and all the services as well. There's a lot of activity in social media going on specific to the military services with, uh, uh, I know, uh, each of the Navy, Army, Marines, Air Force, even, and the Coast Guard all have, uh, have elements and so, uh, specifically working on emerging media issues. And so there's a lot of exciting stuff going on out there. And uh, so what the, what the resolution is on policy is... Uh, is to be determined, uh, at least at this point. Uh, but uh, it's, I think a lot of it's understanding that technology all, is always in advance of policy. Uh, and so uh, just, just trying to find, uh, trying to, try to get policy to catch up with what's really going on out there and uh, the constantly changing environment, as you're well aware, on uh, social media, emerging media. So when you and Jack Holt and these other people were involved with figuring out an external communications strategy for the Department of Defense at the Pentagon, was the, the absence of policy detrimental? Well, you mean the absence of policy on social media? No that real governance. 
It, because, for social media communications. Well, be, it's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's a detriment. It's just it was an understanding. People needed to be aware, ourselves included, that social media was new. And Was it uh, an advantage, having no policy? I, honestly, it could be in, in some ways. It's just a matter of looking at, w- w- it's, an, it's an open book. It's a, with an unwritten script. And it's the opportunity to think, reach out, and try things, experiment. And uh, we took advantage of that, absolutely. We did a lot, did a lot of great things. Um, and uh, again, not just at, uh, at uh, the Department of Defense level, but at, all, at the service level, you continue to see a lot, of, a lot of great movement forward. But having policy is extremely important because you want to give further guidance to others who want to, who want to do things without, uh, without breaking, breaking rules, etc. So, so policy is certainly, certainly important and it's certainly needed. Uh, but uh, in the early stages of something like this, uh, uh, we've, uh, we had to adapt uh, based on existing rules of communication uh, and how, how we would get information out there uh, and uh, adapt accordingly with uh, the emerging media environment. Personal question. Sure. How old are you? I, what am I now? I guess that says something if I yeah. have to think it about it. It changes every year, so I always forget to. I ask it, my uh, wife how uh, old I am. I am usually... now 45. Okay. Yeah, I'm 43. Okay, very uh, so I wonder, you know, you've been you've been doing this for how long now? Well, when you say this, you've been a public affairs officer inside of the U.S. Armed Forces for how long? For fourteen years. Okay, so we're coming into the age of the digital native. My son can't read, but he can use my wife's iPhone and change the settings. He's four <laughs> years old. Um, so, I mean, are do you feel like? Because one of the things you do as a public affairs officer, I'm assuming here, is you brief these service members on how to deal with media and Absolutely. how to deal. Right. Absolutely. But now you're, you're going to start briefing a generation of digital natives who have grown up with this stuff. Do you find that as you continue your work, your job becomes easier and easier? Because you're, these, these, these young people are more and more comfortable with digital technology? I wouldn't say easier and easier. It's a constant challenge. Um, I, based on my age alone, I I am a digital I'm a, a digital immigrant. Me and, <laughs> me and you both Have, needing to uh, to learn it. Uh, uh, I'm not a digital native, but I've got a lot of friends who are, uh, a lot of service uh, personnel who are. Uh, but it's it's not that it's any easier or harder. It's just a new challenge, and it's just understanding that you still have. A large number of individuals who are who are digital immigrants, uh, as well as a lot of incoming personnel who are digital natives, and it's finding a balance that the the the, uh, the percentage of immigrants versus natives is certainly changing year to year, uh, and more and more people are, are are getting on the bandwagon and understanding so many of the different uh, alternatives that are out there for communicating, and it helps, especially when you have uh, other immigrants, uh, digital immigrants. Uh, uh, getting on the bandwagon early, uh, including the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, including uh, yeah, sev- several other folks, but you, uh, the Secretary of Defense, others uh, getting involved, understanding the value of this. And so they're learning, they're reaching out, they're trying new things. Uh, the, and there's no one-size-fits-all for all these social media tools that are out there, uh, depending on the, the person, depending on the organization, depending on the issues at hand. It, it could be a wide variety of tools and techniques that are being used. And so with that, uh, I have personnel 
come in on a regular basis, and I have you know, and we remind people uh, that standard um, standard rules of how to communicate haven't changed. It's just there are new tools to do so. But uh, uh, and when I say that, I mean it's still their responsibility to stay in their lane. You talk about what you what you are appropriately able to talk about, not not go elsewhere, uh, and. Uh, uh, yeah, th- things along those lines, and so, but the fact that there, there, there's new gadgets uh, for uh, for how things will be dealt with, uh, that that's a challenge. Just uh, staying on top of it, and then better educating folks on the, on some of the do's and don'ts while they're out there. But uh, I'm learning more from them than they're than they are from me. The Joint Chiefs Chairman gave an address to the American Legion, a transcript of which is posted on the internet. Uh, in it, he talks about several things, including the effort in Iraq and the effort in Afghanistan. And one of the things he says about Afghanistan, which I never knew, was that before we went there, there were less than a million children in school. And since we've been there, there are now nine million children in school, three million of who are are, are women. And I had an emotional response to that that I had never had to any of the stories I'd seen on the news or read about in the newspaper. Um, When we look back at this time, um, we may remember not necessarily the bailout of Wall Street or healthcare, but open government. The idea that somehow the people would be able to govern um, through the internet and the briefing book, which the transition team presented to Obama was an example of that. The federal mm-hmm. IT dashboard, which was launched earlier this year as a way of measuring the progress uh, against budget of various government agencies. And most recently, data.gov, the website by the federal government where you can actually view raw data sets provided by government agencies. Um, now, It's the first step in what will be, I'm sure, a very long process because if you really go to data.gov and drill down on what's there, you find much of the data is quite old, much of the data is absent. And, you know, when I went to data.gov and I selected Department of Defense, I didn't find any data sets at all. And I was perplexed because I thought to myself, if I could view a map of how many schools were open prior to our engagement in Afghanistan and a map of how many schools are open now that we're in Afghanistan, I would feel more supportive of those efforts and perhaps other people would too. Another thing that came out of the briefing book, people said they're not interested in wars on abstract concepts, which says to me that if you can't communicate the value of being somewhere, the people won't support it. So, I mean, what at all can you tell us about the willingness of the Department of Defense to start to make data available that will reveal to people the reasons why you people are giving your lives for this fight? Well, I can tell you, I, I can't speak on behalf of the Department of Defense as a whole, I can't, uh, but, but I can tell you my personal impression is uh, you, you need to understand there is a lot of information out there. The Department of Defense is huge. 
But uh, for example, I, I personally uh, was, was not familiar with data.gov, uh, just as an example of one. Uh, but uh, the information you talk about for, uh, with uh, the, the schools in Afghanistan and the number of children, et cetera, that's some great information. But is that a Department of Defense input item or is it a Department of State input item? Uh, keep in mind, there are a lot of things that happen across agencies uh, and, uh, or is it, uh, is it something uh, relative to, uh, to some of the uh, NGOs? Uh, uh, th- there's a lot of data out there, and I think you've got, there may be a need to, a, a way to overlay this uh, to find better context. Uh, but uh, when you're talking about dip- uh, diplomatic issues, things, uh, things along those lines, it, that is something that, that's more State Department related than, than de- defense related, although defense efforts were, cr- were crucial in, in getting to that point. So uh, I don't know, I, I really can't go into a lot of depth for you, but I could tell you that's just an area that I, I would think uh, there's a, there would be a lot of, uh, I'd be looking to see, well, who was who the right source to provide the information? Uh, it, do we have an organization uh, to, to provide that? And again, I, I'm unfortunately not familiar with data.gov myself. PRSA Committee Co-Chair, Lieutenant Commander Brooke DeWalt, APR, United States Navy, Director of Public Affairs for the Joint Task Force at Guantanamo. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.